Secondly, by what the parents do. This may seem to be unnecessary. After having said that father and mother give Eucharistic upbringing by what they are, that may be clear, embarrassingly clear. In things of the Spirit, it is not enough to be a Catholic who believes here in the Blessed Sacrament. The Catholic must act like a Eucharistic believer. Why is this important to stress? Because there is in all of us a tendency to divide our lives into two compartments. There was a temptation to claim, maybe honestly and sincerely, to be one thing, yet to behave like something else. The Jekyll and Hyde separation in all of us is neither rare nor surprising. Remember St. Paul's incredible confession about himself. I quote Paul, The good things that I will, I do not do, while the evil things that I will not, those I do. Unquote St. Paul. Let's be honest. It is one thing to claim to be a Catholic. It is something else to be one. At the heart of the Eucharistic education of children is the practice of a deeply, sincerely Eucharistic life by their parents. Their frequent, even daily assistance at Mass and reception of Holy Communion, their prayerful adoration for the Blessed Sacrament is of the essence of rearing their children in a Eucharistic life. Thirdly, parents teach their children by what they say. Once more, we enter a mystery, the mystery of how our words are a communication of ourselves. Of all the means of self-communication, none is more effective than our spoken words. The fundamental and primary communicative agent of religious belief and practice is the parent. This is the common verdict of Christian history, as it also the teaching of the Catholic Church. Children begin to ask intelligent whys long before they are able to conceptualize and much less rationalize the meaning of their questions. 
I quote one specialist who says, The wise which appear between the age of three and seven are extremely numerous. However, he calls this already the second stage of the wise in a child, implying that children can begin to ask why before they are three years old. Evidently, it makes all the difference in the world how a child's whys are answered. The fact that the child asks the questions is a law of human life. The answers which the child receives will shape their life not only for time, but for eternity. Of course, all we have said applies to the whole spectrum of the Christian faith. But it is most relevant and most important for teaching children the mystery of mysteries, which is the Holy Eucharist. Someone may object. Father, you're putting too much stress on the role of parents in training their offspring in Eucharistic pedagogy. Well, pardon me, I know better. A priest for more than 50 years he has taught me it is impossible to exaggerate the providential purpose of father and mother in sharing not only their natural, but especially their supernatural life with the children whom God has given them to prepare for heaven. That's the only, comma, only, comma, only reason why children are brought into this world, to bring them to heaven. Nevertheless, everything we have said about how Eucharistic education is to be given applies not only to parents, but all those who will enter the children's lives over the years. And I mean over the years of their childhood, their adolescence, the young adulthood, and to their dying days. Priests and teachers in school, catechists, and those who preach, those who write books, or use the media for communication, all without exception, will be only as effective in providing others with authentic Eucharistic training by what they are, by what they do, and by what they say. The more Eucharistic these persons are, the more Eucharistically they live, and the more Eucharistically they speak, the more Jesus Christ, to coin a word, will Eucharisticize those who enter our lives. And no one cheats. We go on. Understanding the real presence. 
underlying everything we have so far said is a basic principle of Christianity. It is not enough to believe in the Eucharist. We must understand what we believe. At the risk of having the evil spirit steal the faith from our hearts. I never tire repeating to one audience after another what Christ taught us in the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. The parable, remember, of the sower went out to sow all good seed. Only the fourth of the four grounds on which the seed fell, only the fourth ground was productive. And the first unproductive ground was the pathway on which good seed fell. But, said Jesus, like the birds swooping down and picking up that seed, the evil spirit will swoop down and steal the faith from the hearts of those who do not understand what they believe. Let me repeat, either we understand what we believe or as sure as Jesus Christ is the living truth, the devil will rob us of our faith. As we have said more than once, Eucharistic education must be directed to a deeper, clearer, more certain, and reproductive faith in the real presence. Watch it. The key now will be on the real presence. The reason should be obvious. Unless we understand the real presence, everything else about the Eucharist will be not only misunderstood, but as we see all around us, perverted beyond anything in the 20 centuries of the Church's history. Books are now being used in Catholic seminaries that simply undermine the real physical presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. The following are just a few sentences from a widely read textbook. I'm now quoting. The Eucharist has object, a conception which became mutually supreme during the second millennium of Christian history, at last to bow to the Eucharist as action. A poem of benediction and, quote, cult of the real presence, unquote. Obviously arise here. The Catholic tradition will have to keep reevaluating its practice just as it has gradually and even rapidly changed other secondary symbolism in line with a restored Eucharistic theology.
the moment of consecration is the death of Jesus. What our Eucharistic action does is to celebrate that moment. There was no need for any further moments of consecration except the ones that take place in our own hearts. Unquote. There is no consecration. There is no change of bread and wine into the living Christ. The author of the above quotation is no longer in the active priesthood. Thank God. But many priests in America have been shaped by this thinking. Another writer is more dramatic. Again, a priest. He has remolded hundreds of thousands of still professed Catholics have been a leader of the New Age movement undermining Christianity throughout the Western world. In context, I will quote, he is speaking of what we still call the real peasants. Now I'm quoting two paragraphs. If Jesus Christ is Mother Earth crucified, then the eating and drinking of the Eucharist is the eating and drinking of the wounded earth. The ingesting of the sacrificial victim brings about an awakening of consciousness to the sufferings of Mother Earth and all her children. You're all food for one another. Take and eat, for this is my body. A body we together is no longer limited to a matter of bread, whether leavened or unleavened. Mother Betty is seen for what it is, a cosmological gift, 20 billion years old, the gift of earth, air, fire, water, the sun. Indeed, the ingenuity to make the bread from wheat and soil and to harvest the grapes is itself a cosmic of light waves and brain energies that allowed such imagination into the human consciousness, unquote, and other priests. No words of mine can possibly identify the depth and the spread of these Eucharistic errors. I now continue. So the litany of demolitionists goes on. I could quote literally hundreds of writers whose explanation, and we still call it real presence, is totally at variance with the historic teaching of Catholic Christianity. Let me be as clear as possible. In his mysterious providence, God allows error to penetrate Christianity. Why? To arouse us 
not only to cope with these errors, but inspire us to reflect on what we believe and come to a deeper grasp on the ocean of truth which the Lord in His goodness has revealed to our minds. May we be clear and honest. We have no choice. Either we grow in our understanding of our faith here of the real presence, or as sure as there is a God in heaven, our faith will not only be weakened, but I mean it, will be destroyed. We're asking ourselves, why is faith in the real presence so crucially important to preserving our faith in Jesus Christ on earth in the Holy Eucharist? Because that is what the real presence means. I have reasoned, I've argued, I've explained to too many people not know how widespread is the sheer, unadulterated ignorance of professed Catholics and, sad to say, of priests. What the real presence really means. I ask them, was God present on earth before the Incarnation? Yes. If God had been present, there would not have been a Nazareth. Would not have been, well, a Blessed Virgin Mary. So what happened? And Mary told the angel, Be it known to me according to your words. Everything, comma, everything, comma, everything in our faith depends on the answer to that question. What happened was the Almighty God, remaining God, became a man. He became a real man with a truly human nature. But having become man, God, talk about mystery, God then chose to remain man from the moment of his incarnation in Mary's womb. He chose to remain man for all eternity. But then, the second and crucial choice, God chose not just to remain man, allowing himself to be crucified, rising from the dead, and ascending into heaven. But he chose to remain on earth as the God-man, the same identical Jesus Christ, whom Mary carried in her womb for nine months. That is the Eucharist. I cannot begin to tell you 
how widespread is the ignorance of, I don't say just the meaning of the real presence, but the meaning of the incarnation. God became really and truly man. And he became man both to have a truly human nature so that we might receive graces from him as God through his humanity. But watch it. Also to teach us how we human beings are to use our human will. The main reason God became man was to assume a human will. That's what he did on the cross. He defined sacrifice as a voluntary surrender of something precious to God. God assumed a human will so dying on the cross would not just be murdered, but would choose with his human will to be killed so that he might teach us how we are to use our human wills in following his example. And this Jesus is on earth in the Holy Eucharist. Over the years, only God knows, and I mean this literally, the thousands of hours I have spent in Christ's Eucharistic presence, begging Him, pleading with Him to give me the light to know what He wants me to do and the strength to do it. Now, asking our last question, how to grow in our understanding of the real presence. There was no more effective way than by speaking to our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. He is here, right here, asking Him to deepen our grasp of what we believe. It is now over 700 years that St. Thomas Aquinas composed the hymn Adoro Te I Adore Thee This hymn was ordered by the Bishop of Rome for the divine office of Corpus Christi in the 13th century arose the first series of major heresies denying the real presence. In our day, these heresies are becoming so widespread as to threaten the survival of the Catholic Church in more than one part of the modern world. I could not think of a better way to close this conference than to quote without apology, the full text of the Adorote. How I would like to 
share the Latin with you. Uh, this will be, I trust, a good English translation. As we go through this prayer, as all unite ourselves with our Lord, really present here in the Holy Eucharist, we pray. I adore you devoutly, God yet unseen, who truly lie hidden under these sacramental forms. My soul surrenders itself to you without reserve, for in contemplating you it is completely overwhelmed. Sight, touch, and taste are no guide to finding you. Only hearing is a sure guide for our faith. I believe everything that the Son of God has said, and nothing can be truer than this word of the truth. Only the Godhead was hidden on the cross, but here the humanity is hidden as well. And I believe and acknowledge them both make the same request as did the repentant thief. I do not see the marks of the wounds as Thomas did, and yet I too own you as my God. Grant me to believe in you always more and more, to place my hope in you and love you. Living bread, Whoever recalls the death of the Lord and gives life to his servants, grant my soul to live by you and always to taste your sweetness. Lord Jesus, loving pelican of heaven, cleanse me a sinner with your blood. For a single drop can save the whole world from all its sin. Jesus, as I look on your veiled presence, I pray that what I long for so ardently may come about, that I may see your face unveiled and be happy in the vision of your glory. Amen. So far, the Arodote. Now, my own prayer. Lord Jesus, living in the blessed sacrament, I believe you are here in the fullness of your divinity and humanity. Deepen my faith in you here on earth. So believing in you and doing your will, I may see you face to face, and embrace you, my Lord and my God, for endless ages. Amen. Thank you for listening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.